tell you, when you set your alarm for 3.30, 4 o'clock every morning, um, I've tested that resolve as much as I possibly can and, and almost three years later, here we are. So uh, there must be something to the momentum of it, I think. This is Company, the podcast. I'm Sky Manson. Company is a podcast produced in rural Australia, bringing together ambitious women from the bush, the city and all over the world. My guest today is Claire Kimball from the highly successful Australian daily news podcast, The Squiz. There are just so many reasons that I want you to meet Claire. Her co-hosted podcast and her daily newsletter is just awesome. It's really practical. It's short and sweet. I can consume it quickly in the morning. And I just really love the way that they deliver news. I'm also in complete awe of the business model behind this podcast and how she manages to make good money from podcasting. And she's from Yass, which is the same place that I grew up in New South Wales. Now, before we get on with our conversation, I just really wanted to say thank you to you for tuning into company again. It's really nice to be chatting with you again. And over the last few weeks, I've been really swamped with all kinds of lovely messages and write-ups about this podcast. And it's so exciting for me. If you're liking what you're hearing too, I'd be completely stoked as always, if you could share a recommendation for your friends to listen to this podcast too. If you want to be in touch, you can contact me on Instagram at sky underscore Manson. And that's enough from me for now. Without any more talking from me, here is Claire Kimball, founder, creator and host of The Squeeze Podcast. Claire Kimball, thank you so much for um, speaking with me on my podcast and welcome. Thank you so much. I am keen to know, just, just to begin, paint me a picture of your, how your everyday begins. Begins very early. Mm. <laughs> at, um, at around 3.30, um, I tumble out of bed on, on every weekday. Uh, I don't have to really go very far. It's about a 10-metre trot to my desk uh, where I start going through the news of, of the day and, and make sure that everything that we're trying to distill uh, for people who read our email or listen to our podcast has all the major themes of the day. Uh, I then uh, record a podcast with my co-host, Kate Watson. Uh, we do that at about five in the morning uh, over the genius of the internet. Uh, we then... Uh, go back into our respective bits of work. Kate gets the podcast out while I then focus on the email and we both press send at about 6am. Uh, there's a little bit of admin after that, um, but I make sure then that I get a couple of hours uh, of just a bit of free time, take the dog for a walk, get a coffee, um, just sort of breathe air for a little bit. Um, and then it's pretty much straight into uh, working on on the squeeze from really about 9.30 through till about 3 o'clock. Uh, I have a, a good team here, uh, Larissa Moore, who's a, a good country girl as well. She looks after all of our digital media, uh, which is things like our website, um, our database uh, and our social media outreach. Uh, then at about 3 o'clock, 
uh, we've just put on a, a graduate, you'll know exactly what rare uh, beasts these are. Uh, Lara, who can write, which is just an incredible thing to find these days. So Lara and I then get stuck into the content for the next day and that really takes me through from about three in the afternoon until about 7pm at night. Wow, so you have a huge day. They're long days, there's no doubt about it, but I think anyone who has worked on <laughs> their own business knows there's not a lot of downtime. Uh, I start, of course, the news review process on a Sunday, uh, which takes me into Monday's edition. But one thing I've been really disciplined about and I'm still very good at is making sure that I have a free Saturday. Yes, and an early finish on a Friday. Being an being an ex rural journalist with early mornings, it was always um, yeah. okay to finish early <laughs> on a Friday. Yeah, I, I aim to do that. I'm getting less and less good about being disciplined and carving that bit of time out. Uh, what that usually means at the moment is that I make sure, though, that I have a proper check-in with the team uh, on a Friday and we have longer conversations about what's coming up and what we need to do next without the pressure of time. Um, and really, it's those Friday conversations that I value the most because uh, I don't feel like I've got you know, a clock ticking in the back of my head about moving on to the next thing and starting the content creation for the next day. So that Friday bit of time, while it's a lot more relaxed and without that pressure, it's still work. And yeah, by the time I get to five o'clock on a Friday, I'm really happy to switch off. Yeah. And how do you actually uh, record the squeeze? Is it, are you together? No, no. Luckily, um, at that hour, uh, we're able to do that from our respective homes. So Kate lives uh, over on the North Shore, Kate Watson. She uh, switches on Zencaster, which is a, a great Australian um, technology product. And what it does is allow both of us to record our tracks uh, and listen to each other in this one program. So she sends me a link uh, at about quarter to five. Um, by then, I've done a complete new sweep and, and so has Kate so that we're able to come together uh, on the internet and record that podcast. So we do that pretty much as live each morning. We own 12 minutes of audio um, to get it down to about an eight and a half or a nine minute podcast. So over the um, time that we've been doing it, we've become pretty good at making sure that we keep it tight. We know our format and we get it done pretty quickly in the morning. Yeah, I love I love the way that you guys interact, and I think it's so genius. Considering that you're not together, and you um, do, do you can you see each other? Do you have your visual cues? No, no, we don't. Kate and I knew each other before coming into this. Um, as Kate like as Kate likes to remind me, she's a lot younger than I am. Um, she quite often <laughs> reminds me of that. Um, Kate uh, and I both worked in, in politics and uh, she was coming out of high school and had moved from Bermagui uh, up to Sydney uh, as a young kid out of high school and um, we were able to, to pick her up as a, a part-timer in our electorate office. So uh, Kate and I have known each other for a very long time. So I think that level of friendship and that relationship means that we're able to interact pretty freely uh, without actually being in a room together. I love it that all of the team has roots, rural and country roots. Does that, um, was that on purpose? No, it really wasn't. Um, I think though subconsciously I'm, I'm probably drawn 
to good practical, you know, no fuss kind of uh, women. Um, Kate and Larissa are very much those kind of women. Um, Kate is very straight up and down and her work ethic is just phenomenal. Um, Larissa also for such a technical skill is able to really communicate that very clearly and she just gets on with it um, without really uh, worrying me too much about the technicalities of everything that's involved in the digital side of the business. Uh, I'm across it as much as I need to but down in the finicky detail um, she's just such a capable girl and I think that country women are very good in just getting on with things. Here, here. <laughs> um, Claire tell me about your childhood where did you grow up? So I uh, did zero to 13 in Yass. Uh, my father uh, moved um, our family to Yass uh, before I was born uh, with the Electricity Commission, which of course back in those days was quite a big business uh, in Yass. They had lived in Yass for 24 odd years, I think, before we moved to uh, a property just outside of Albury. Uh, Albury is where my parents were from um, and had been for, for many generations from around that area. They met uh, as my grandfathers were building the Hume Dam uh, back in the day and um, married quite early and had travelled around a little bit working with the um, public works department. But yeah, it was yes that I had my start and, and then into Albury. That's well, you, as you know, I'm a Yas girl too. Yeah. And I'm actually sitting in the car at the front of the Yas library right now recording this. So, <laughs> sure, you've got a visual in your mind of that. <laughs> I love the extra effort you've gone to, for, to make me feel at home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, I've worked it very, very yeah. well. <laughs> do you tell me about, do you have many fond memories of, of here? Any that sort of stick out in your mind? Yeah, look, so many. I think it, it's such a different scale, I think, of childhood when you grow up in the country. Um, you don't just have your, your house and your school uh, and the street that you live in as your memory. I have a whole town and, and in fact, probably a whole district. Um, I have very strong memories from uh, Pony Club uh, and riding, you know, from everywhere um, across Canberra through the back hills of Wee Jasper, uh, across your way in, in Bookham and Bowning and Dalton and, and all through there, um, mm. which we did for, for many, many years. And I think um, also probably uh, that sense that you knew pretty much everyone uh, around town. And I didn't mind at all that, um, you know, there was a, a certain level of behaviour that was expected from you when you were a kid, you know, wandering down the main street. i tell you the other thing that I remember really well and I only probably really realized it when I went to Vietnam if you've ever been to Vietnam one of the major cities and you've tried to cross the street it's pretty intimidating with the um, motorbikes and, and trucks and cars going here there and everywhere but I learned when the Hume Highway was going through yes with big semi-trailers uh, going with not many traffic lights how to cross a road oh. and it really has held me in good stead to this day <laughs> well that's right how quickly we forget that the Hume Highway did used to go through yes and now of course all those towns along the Hume Highway mm. uh, have been bypassed and gone through a tough time and then completely reinvigorated themselves which is just a yeah signs of evolution it's wonderful to see yeah, very different times these days, isn't it, for those towns from certainly my, my childhood back in the 80s. Mm. And Claire, do you think you're always destined to be a, a communicator and a, and a journalist? 
Were you I a don't, journalist? No, no, I certainly don't consider myself a, a journalist. I've always been uh, in the sort of business, I guess, of, of communicating. That's certainly the path that politics led me on. Um, no is the short answer, I guess, even looking at it from that perspective. Um, I was always very interested in news um, and interested in politics, but probably more interested in policy uh, and, you know, the mechanics of, of government and how things got done. And that's really where my studies at university led me. Uh, I came back from Albury and went to ANU uh, for um, the sort of early bit of the 90s. And uh, I ended up, of course, doing an arts degree, which doesn't qualify you for much, but I did a uh, graduate diploma at ANU in public policy. And my thought was that I'd probably head into uh, public service, probably in Canberra. Um, I was quite interested in agricultural policy uh, and regional policy and, and also uh, in things like sport and transport. So I, I had a wide range of interests, but uh, my first job through the old Bush Telegraph Network um, led me up to work for a National Party senator uh, just in the end of the, the first term of the Howard government. And it was really from there that I was able to get a, a toehold in what was such a fascinating era, uh, working through the Howard government days and uh, into a communications type of role. And who was that for? David Brownhill. He was a senator for New South Wales. He was based up in Tamworth. Uh, his family uh, and David still have um, big land holdings through Corindai and back through the Liverpool Plains. And it was a part of the country that I'd never spent any time in. But I do have such um, fond memories of, of getting a, a start uh, based in Canberra's Parliament House, but spending a lot, lot of time up in that part of the country. And then how did you come to be working for Tony Abbott? Right. So from David, I then went to Larry Anthony, uh, who, of course, is legendary Doug Anthony's son. Larry held the seat of Richmond, which goes from the Queensland border uh, down through the coast to just a bit past Byron Bay. Uh, I worked for Larry uh, for about six years. And the reason behind that was that he was the most marginal member of parliament in the federal um, in the federal scene. And to get some experience in that sort of grassroots campaigning was something that I really wanted to do. Uh, Larry, of course, became a, a minister um, quite early and I worked um, eventually as his press secretary. And when Larry lost in 2004, uh, I was really quite sure that I was going to head out of politics at that point and probably go and do something else. But I, I got a terrific offer from Tony to come and be his press secretary. And tell me about what it's like. You're obviously drawn to the pace and the sort of, you know, on your feet thinking style of things. Is that right? Yeah, I think um, politics can become quite addictive, which is why I think you see uh, it's, I think, probably much like journalism, um, particularly in those kind of roles. You do get used to a, a pace of things and uh, it's such a fascinating job as a you know a kid from the country who really had no qualification other than um, building a base of experience to be at the center of something that you know your work day ended up on the front page of the newspapers and the top of the news bulletins whether that was on radio or tv so there certainly is an addiction part of it 
There's no doubt about that. Uh, I think also um, a good part of why uh, I had the success that I did in those roles was because I did have a, a pretty practical um, kind of sense. I'm pretty hard to ruffle uh, and to get too stressed out. I, I instantly sort of switch into practical mode when things are really flying and I think that's quite appealing in the heady pace of what can happen in, in federal politics. And were there many women working around you at that time? Oh, absolutely. And you know what? There, there still are. This is probably the untold story of, mm. of what's, what's happening in, in federal politics and representation. Um, when I certainly was uh, working uh, through the Howard government days, I think I only had a period of maybe a couple of years out of the 10 years that I was there that I had a male chief of staff. Um, all the time I'd had female chiefs of staff and certainly the senior roles taken in the office were dominated by women. Um, that's still largely the case, certainly on the coalition side of, of things, and I, I think it probably is uh, across Labor and, and the minor parties. Uh, it's an interesting field politics for women because I think um, we're very good at being practical and also relating to people. And of course, politics is a friends building exercise. So uh, women are very good at it. And what, of course, we need to see is more of those women actually taking those representative roles. Well, tell me then how um, or when was the first time the inception of, of the squiz? When was the idea for the squiz born? So probably uh, about four years before I started it, um, I had um, exited uh, politics and had taken a, a communications role with Woolworths. So I was director of comms for, for Woolies Group, which uh, looked after the media relations and the financial comms and uh, all of the bits and pieces, not just for the corporate entity, but for all of the brands. So supermarkets, all the liquor stores, um, Big W, uh, Masters back in those days and uh, of course thinking about comms very differently the difference um, about communications uh, in a corporate entity like Woolworths is that you have to actually be a lot more strategic uh, it was really during those years that I learned a lot more about strategy and having to think through these things because what happens in politics is of course you rock up every day and you don't really think a lot about the broader strategy you just go 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 and it's quite tactical um, I think when I started to think about communications in a more strategic sort of way, it was pretty clear to me very early that uh, with the advent of the internet and with the way the news cycle was changing, that the people who were going to win uh, in getting their messages out and actually connecting with people were the ones who were going to be very successful at building their own channels. And I thought that was something that was really interesting and something that at some point I would want to try. Um, also, being a quite intrinsically lazy person. Um, as a press secretary, there was nothing really for me that I could get in my inbox or, uh, or wherever um, that gave me a really good quick rundown of the news from an independent viewpoint. And that was something that I thought, given my skills as a press secretary, where synthesising the news every day was something that I did, um, that I would be able to do and, and push out to a broader audience. Because four years ago, the podcast scene has completely um, evolved since, since that time. It was fairly fresh. It's incredible, isn't it? It has even changed in the last six months. Um, and I think um, the change will continue. The uptake of podcast is quite extraordinary. Um, the interesting part about the squeeze is 
uh, where email led, um, email is still a thing. It's one of the oldest technologies, of course, going around, but it's still highly relevant and it really is the backbone of our business. Um, what we wanted to do, though, is stretch and be where our audience is. And we knew that there was a, a bunch of people who would like to access the Squiz on podcast. And uh, Kate and I just decided to give it a try and throw it out there and, and see what happened. And it's been a really terrific journey for us to learn about that podcast to learn about that podcast scene but also to to really get a sense of, of the changes in what's going to be a very important communication tool going forward. The Squeeze has been so successful and it's so interesting to sort of watch and observe from afar as as I do. Do you think part of its success has been because of the strong um, foundations that you put in place? Very nice of you to say, Sky. Thank you so much. As you, as you will. Well, I don't know, really you know, know, but I just look from the outside. <laughs> look, that'll do. You, you, if it looks, if it looks good, it must be right. Uh, yeah. Look, we have enjoyed really terrific success. Um, we've hit all of the targets that we've set for ourselves, um, and you're absolutely right. We were very clear right at the start about what the squeeze was and what we were trying to achieve. Um, I think businesses can tend to uh, want to take on too much and want to do too much, um, not just on the core of the business, but, you know, all the little things that can fall off and the little insights that you get as soon as you, you start um, talking to people or, or putting your product out there. And we've been really disciplined in just sticking to our netting, uh, in doing the things that we know that we do well. Um, our basic premise, of course, is to just basically give it a really good daily news update that that's the core of it and if we can do that really well uh, then we can build we think a, a really good audience and, and that's the main game and we're doing a few things off the side of that but our, our core premise is that daily news thing and that's what we really obsess about. Tell me a little bit about the um, the backgrounding of the email and the podcast, though. I'm so amazed at that. Like, wasn't it tempting to just sort of launch into it because these kind of things are quite easy to put out these days. But um, yeah. my understanding is that you did have, you know, you've been thinking about it for a long time before you actually got to that point. Yeah, and I think, um, again, it's it's probably uh, good advice for anyone looking at starting a business, no matter what it is. We put a lot of effort into um, making sure that the idea was the right one uh, before launching. And look, I'm not that fussed if the squiz fails, to be honest. Um, if people, for whatever reason, decide that they don't like what we're doing, um, I'll absolutely take that on the chin and, and move on to something else. It's not failure that really worries me. Um, I always thought, though, that if it was a product that was something that I could use and I, I knew that there was a bunch of people just like me, uh, whether they were communicators as a, as a professional skill set or whether they were mums who just wanted to, you know, stay on top of the news um, or I've got a whole bunch of um, male mates who uh, really just need to, to get a good shot of news um, every now and then, not even necessarily every day. I really did feel that if I could do that and give it a go, then it would be something that had a chance of working and look we'll still keep working on it there's no sense that we've done it um and that's probably the exciting thing about it um it's changing so quickly this communication scene so uh actually looking at what was out there thinking about what would be good for us having a chat to a good bunch of people whose opinions i respect uh, but also then 
um, making sure that I blocked out all those helpful suggestions that really don't mean anything mm. uh, and making sure that we were committed to being really simple and disciplined about it has been the key to get from uh, where we started back in 2017 to here. Was it a difficult thing to monetize at that stage? I always had a commercial side to it in mind. So it was always built with the idea that whatever product out there was going to be able to be commercialised. Uh, I'm not much interested, I have to say, in, in products that can't have a commercial element to it. Uh, I think it's just good business to be able to uh, make sure that whatever we do and however we spend our time, um, if not right off the bat, then certainly in the very near future is able to attract some revenue. That's the only way this business is going to work. Um, we have started from scratch of me funding it, um, certainly for the first uh, almost two years. Uh, we did a capital raising round back in 2018, uh, where I was able to thank thankfully get a, a bunch of investors who are actually really interested in being innovative in media. Um, so they're terrific partners uh, as we go through this journey of building something new and, and independent. Um, but the squiz will only work uh, because it's commercial, not because uh, it's a good thing to do. Mm. Yes, that's right. <laughs> do you, on, on that then, do you have any tips for people who, there are so many people out there who might be wanting to start their own podcast? Look, I think um, have a go. There's no doubt about it. And one of the really exciting things about podcast is the barrier to entry is so low. Um, anyone can really have a go at it. And if you think you've got a good idea uh, and, you know, people you respect uh, that you've had the courage of, of having an honest conversation about them uh, thinks that it's something and you've taken their feedback, then it's certainly good to have a go. I think the other thing is not everything that you think is interesting is actually interesting. Um, just like Kate likes to remind me quite regularly, just because I think something is funny doesn't necessarily <laughs> mean that it's actually really funny. So it's great to have those sounding boards. There's no doubt about that. But look, I, I, I'm all for, look, just have a try. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Who really cares? But you never know. I think there are more people um, these days who are accessing media in such innovative ways that you just never know where you might find your um, listeners, where you might find your commercial partners. But I think good planning and actually having a, a, a sense that uh, you can build something that is actually sustaining uh, is really worthwhile thinking through at the start. And Claire, you obviously lead a, a fairly high-paced um, life and um, a busy life. How do you, what does home time look for you? How do you wind down and relax? Home time is pretty simple for me. I'm not married um, and I don't have any kids. Um, I have fantastic friends who live around my neighbourhood, so we're all pretty local, which makes um, actually, as you say, getting to a Friday afternoon and, and going and either having a walk around the harbour here in Sydney or uh, going for a drink or just grabbing a meal is, is really easy. So um, I do like to have that check-in with friends as, as probably um, a key thing. Um, I also have a really terrific um, time just being alone, I have to say. Um, I really do enjoy my, my bit of time where I can just 
decompress. And I've done that really since the early days of politics. I, I think that's something um, being an only child as well. Uh, and from the country, you get very good with your own company. And these days, uh, I actually need that little bit of uh, alone time to just sort of think through what the priorities are going forward, but also just, you know, make sure that I've done that checklist in my head that I've checked back in with everyone that I need to, to stay connected to my broader friendship group. Um, the other thing I do is swim. I, I have a fantastic um, ability here in Sydney to, you know, whether it's wander across um, to um, Andrew Boy Charlton Pool, which is just off the harbour here, uh, or whether it's a you know, a little bit of a beach trip, uh, which isn't too far for me. Sydney um, is such a glorious place to be able to enjoy those natural amenities. And when you come from places like Yass and Albury, where it's absolutely freezing um, from a given point of the year, to be able to, you know, sort of swim for months and months is just incredible to me still. Yeah, I only yesterday said to Damien, who, my husband, I'm really yearning for the water. It just... Yeah, it calls <laughs> you, get, you, doesn't it? Yeah, you get those times. Um, I, I'm i interested, has it been hard to keep momentum um, with, with the squeeze? It's a really good question because I think um, any success we've had with the squiz really comes down to our ability to just get up every day and keep mm. going as hard as we did the day before. And I really enjoy talking to other founders um, of startups, um, whether they're in our space or, or different industries, about um, how they're able to to keep that momentum going. And of course, the quick and of course, the key question um, comes back that if you know now what you didn't know then, um, or rather, other way, if you knew then uh, what you know now about starting a business, would you do it again? And for me, the answer is definitely yes. And it's not because of any grand big plan or any kind of um, sense that we're going somewhere. Um, although I do have those things in the back of my mind, it's that I can get up every day and have a lot of fun to start off with, um, enjoy the company of the women that I work with, which is hugely important to me, um, but also know that each day we're taking steps forward. And um, I tell you, when you set your alarm for 3.34 o'clock every morning, um, I've tested that resolve as much as I possibly can. And, and almost three years later, here we are. So uh, there must be something to the momentum of it, I think. Well done. What's the first thing that you check in the morning? Email, Instagram, Facebook? Oh, I tell you, I've got such a pattern. It's just, I could do it on autopilot. I'm, <laughs> I'm working towards, I wish I could do it half asleep, but I haven't quite. I got the yet. Um, ABC is my first website. Um, it always is my first website as I check in. Um, and I think the trick, these are the things these days, isn't it, with the way the webs are, uh, websites are becoming more enabled is making sure that I get outside of the New South Wales button and outside of, you know, its learning of my um, yes. habits uh, to make sure that I'm always pushing out beyond what uh, an algorithm thinks are, are my tastes. So uh, that's even happening on ABC's website these days. So you've got to be a bit careful about those things. But no, I go from in the morning, ABC, BBC, CNN, Washington Post, uh, AP, the American syndicated press, uh, and then I head back into Australia. So I look at the age, the SMH, um, 
Fin Review, the Australian, there's a bunch of rural websites um, as well from, from news uh, and a couple of the radios. And I get across all of that these days in about 45 minutes. Oh. And for anyone who's interested and may not know of the quiz, hard to imagine, I know, the squiz, um, uh, how, how do they get involved with your community? If you want to go to thesquiz.com.au, uh, there's sign-up pages there. You can sign up to our, um, our email, which comes out at 6am every weekday morning. Uh, also, of course, on your preferred and also, of course, on your preferred podcast uh, provider, you can sign up to the Squiz uh, today, which is a weekday podcast, again, out at 6am. Um, we also do a podcast of explainers, really. Uh, we tackle some of the bigger sort of issues in the news or the personalities that just requires a little bit more explanation so you can get the background into them. Um, one thing that we did this week coming back from uh, Christmas was on bushfires. So given there's been so much debate about how big these current bushfires are uh, and whether climate change really is an issue, uh, we've tackled all of that in, in 10 minutes. So yeah, short and sweet, but certainly with some good background info. And Claire, just before I let you go, I meant to ask you this earlier, but do you have any, being a, being a country girl and well-connected still with rural areas, obviously all over New South Wales, do you have any favourite rural businesses or places that you like to go or that you like to follow online? You know, I'm probably pretty predictable. I head to Bird's Nest quite a bit uh, online when I'm looking um, to buy a new T-shirt or, you know, a pair of tracky pants because that's about the extent of my wardrobe these days. So um, <laughs> Bird's Nest is, is really, um, really good for that. It's always one of my first stops. Um, probably heading down the highway, which I do quite a bit, I always stop in at Long Track pantry i'm always super excited to get there i think that's just the best place um the other one that i think i've referred half of sydney to is the golden charcoal chicken shop um i think i get phone calls almost or text messages most weekends from all sorts of people who i've told about golden charcoal chicken and how fabulous it is but it doesn't open on a sunday and they get very upset with me so. and they need it the most exactly right but yes i, I do um i do like to support golden golden charcoal chicken as much as i can where is where is that Main Street, Goulburn. It's it. down the down the north end and it's um it just sort of ironically enough across from KFC and it's fantastic. Oh well um on that note I I will let you go and we can dream about um charcoal chicken forevermore. <laughs> um, I do most nights guys so <laughs> Claire, I so appreciate you taking the time to speak with me um, and uh, we continue to watch your journey with the Squiz and thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sky. Thanks for listening to this episode of Company. A click on the subscribe button and a written review on Apple Podcasts is another way that people can discover this podcast something that I would also love. You can find me on Instagram at sky underscore Manson or have a look around my website mansonandcompany.com. For now it's time to go but thanks for being good company.